0: Good day and welcome to Proximo's 20 Minutes with Podcast. I'm Tom Nelthorpe and I'm currently an editor-at-large here at Proximo. As its name suggests, Proximo's 20 Minutes with Podcast is usually 20 minutes of chat with a single top-notch guest interviewee. However, at this time of year, and given that it's the festive season, we're going to hold a festive trends takeover with not one, but three top-notch speakers. But instead of gently probing them for their opinions on market trends, we pit them against each other in a bare knuckle struggle to identify and expand on the top trends of the year. Myself and Proximo's amazing deputy editor, Thomas Hopkins, identify eight trends. And then our team of speakers takes it in turns to pick the ones that resonate the most, or that they want to modify, or even reject altogether. They can add one, and only one, trend to the pile. On balance, we'd say that 2023 has surprised us on the upside. We'd like to look at why that is and maybe look at what 2024 might bring. It's fun. It's educational. Sorry, I'm making this sound like a science museum. Uh, And it might just help you navigate some challenging markets. So without further ado, we will introduce our speakers and we will ask each of them to name their favourite Christmas tree. This is to decide who goes first. The best answer um, is is, going to get the first crack at the trends. Long-term listeners may know that I run a forestry operation here in darkest Northern Lincolnshire, so I feel very suitably qualified to judge their responses. So first off, we're joined by Ian Cogswell, a senior advisor at Portland Advisors and a founder of CCC Training. Ian, how's your year been and what's the best Christmas tree? Thanks, Tom. Well,
1: yeah, it's been a pretty good year overall. I think that what you said at the outset is is very true. Um, Maybe we In each of these uh, festive trends podcasts, we've always cautioned that the next year may not be um, everything that we'd hoped it would be. But I think that we've seen continued activity in all of the sectors that I cover, Um, new sponsors, um, new investors, and even new projects, which we'll maybe maybe talk about as we get into the trends, some of which have been identified in the list and some which which maybe haven't. Um, So, Yeah, on the whole, very, very happy with 2023. What I would, um, however, be less happy with is what is going to be my answer for the best kind of Christmas tree, because I hadn't really thought of this until you sprung it on me. And obviously, I am somebody who, uh, well, not obviously, but I'm somebody who's never actually had a real Christmas tree. So um, and in all of these years, I've only ever had an artificial Christmas tree. And as a result of that, I'd have to say that one of those pop-up Christmas trees with uh, sparkly lights that you don't have to do anything to set up would be my favourite. I suspect that's not going to get me the first place, though.
0: (laughs) That's the honest answer. Um, But yeah, not the ingratiating yourself with a Christmas tree grower answer. Anyway, (laughs) let's see where that gets you. You know, Um, next, we're joined by... Um, Michael Whelan, Managing Director and Energy Infrastructure Finance Advisor at
2: Berkeley Research Group. Hello, Michael. Um,
0: highlighted the year and favorite tree?
2: Well, highlight of the year had to be, of course, going to the Proximo Energy Transition event in Austin, Texas. Um, of course, it was good to see, to go back to my uh, college town of Austin, Texas, Um, bore the Proximo staff to tears with stories about how their selected venue of the Hyatt Regency was, in fact, the birthplace of the now global phenomenon known as the Texas fajita. Uh, But uh, enjoyed seeing everybody, of course, in the in the in our era of uh, post covid, you know, doing a lot by remote control. It's always good to see everybody in the flesh um, as uh, as you know, we continue to return to normal, which in Washington, DC seems to be taking decades, not years, to get back to normal traffic. All right, ladling Um, on the flattery
0: before you've even picked a tree.
2: Exactly. um, I approve. (laughs) Hey, there's strategy here. Now, I will now blow it, however, with my tree selection, and and I did bring a visual prop here, uh, which uh, will be lost on the studio audience uh, listening, uh, but I will explain it. Of course, the only tree which is appropriate is the pump tree, the Christmas tree that's on top of wellheads, which is used to regulate uh, pressure, uh, provide uh, safety controls to allow remote operation. Um, And you may think this is a bygone relic of the carbon-based industry, but no. Remember, in our carbon sequestration underground storage era, we will continue to rely upon these wonderful uh, uh, instruments of Christmas love and, and control regulation uh to make us sure that we're able to meet our meet our annual goals and and to hope that father christmas uh brings us a a relatively lower carbon environment you can't you can't see it listeners but it is a most
0: splendidly decorated um you know oil wellhead pump thing with a star in it so that's um that's setting a tough bar tough bar michael um but let's see what a third speaker um is going to bring to the game um so lastly we're joined by jonathan yellen he's investment director at ogci climate investments hi john highlight of the year and favorite christmas tree
3: hey guys uh, great to see you all again this year i think I've, lo- I've now officially lost track of how many years we've been doing this which uh, which points to just how great a trend this uh this event has been bec- become for all of us so tom thanks for having us join you again michael and ian great to- great to talk with you guys and see you again at least uh, uh for those that are uh, not joined by podcast um, it was a year of change uh, in a lot of ways, um, uh, in the markets, um, uh, in the economy, uh, in the infrastructure development world, but also in my own personal level, I, I made a transition from, uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, I'm now based in Southern California and San Diego. And so uh, it's been a year of, uh, of significant movement in that respect. Um, I'd say um, as it relates to the, uh, the Christmas tree question at hand, um, as someone who experiences these things as an observer, not as a participant. Um, the transition has also, I think, been a significant one as it relates to that my appreciation of those. Uh, you know, in the years I lived in New York for almost 30 years, the selling of the Christmas trees on Columbus Avenue near where I, uh, I lived was always a key part of the, uh, the holiday season, and uh, that's been shifted this year. Now that I'm living on the West Coast, I just did an airport run and, and noted that the palm trees here serve as Christmas trees, and they're covered in lights, so I I will say that my uh my new current west coast location has made my favorite christmas tree to observe the uh the palm tree covered in lights.
0: All right. Well, um you knew this was going to happen. Like only one of our guests picked an actual living organic tree. Um so almost by default, I think John gets it. Um extra point for creativity for for Michael, but I think that's that's our second speaker and Ian, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I Norden, I thought you guys gonna talk about these amazing species, Fraser furs, Norman furs. And I realized that society appears to have moved on. Um, and that's, uh, that's interesting. So John, you have list of eight trends um, or you can pick your own.
3: All right. Well, I think violating my own tradition uh, as a trend, I'm gonna actually go with the the list this year um, for a for first selection. Um, and given that we're just finishing up uh, COP28 uh, just last month, uh, I thought it was worth reflecting on the point that uh, that you raised, Tom, about um, oil and gas experiencing a slow transition um, as one of the sort of key foundations of the uh, of the cop twenty uh, eight that was just concluded. And I think that it's a it's a very accurate statement. I would agree with the trend. um, but I think it's notable, right? You know, for the first time at uh, at cop, there was an acknowledgement um, that the transition away from fossil fuels actually needs to happen, and that was something that was signed on board by. By all of the uh, the countries participating, um, and obviously notable that uh, that the location being in Dubai and the sponsorship and um, the host uh, uh, being obviously a you know major oil producing entity, all I think speaks to a um, a common understanding that this is going to need to happen. The fact is, though, it's not going to happen quickly, right? We've known this for a long time, and that was part of the acknowledgement. Um, and so I think this this idea that it's got to happen in a you know just and fair way, um, I think, is uh, something like the, the language that was used. Um, is also just an understanding that um, that it's going to be different in in each country and and uh, in each application um, you know also from cop I'll, I'll just also uh, also point out that um, at the at the launch of it as is typically the uh, the, the trend for the US um, there was some significant new methane regulation um, that was announced that's going to um, reduce materially the amount of, uh, of that particular greenhouse gas that gets uh, uh, emitted as part of the oil and gas production process uh, in the US and, and Canada followed shortly behind that. So notable action around methane, um, I think was a, was a very important one that also came out of that. And then the last one I'll mention out of CAP 28, for the first time, uh, food production, food security, and how that relates to, uh, to climate change was also raised as a significant area of uh, future attention. Um, you know, in the last, whatever, 40, 50 years, the planet's gotten much better at, at feeding a, a global population, but it's done it by uh, by imparting a lot more energy and therefore greenhouse gas emissions into each uh, piece of food that we eat. So that there's an acknowledgement that there's things other than the energy side of the uh, of the greenhouse gas equation that need to be addressed, I think was also an important uh, aspect of COP28. So I think more of a glasses half full uh, reaction, mm-hmm. at least on my end, to, to what, what went on there. But no question, it's not going to happen in a extremely fast manner. There's no way that it can. But an acknowledgement that it has to happen in a just manner and in an equitable manner, I think, is also quite important.
0: Thanks, John. Um, and if you want to take the other side of that, there is a very acerbic take on COP28 from my colleague, Sean Keating, that's available at Proximo. But I think one thing about project finance bankers, and I guess, you know, generally, we're still in that, in that business, is that you do, you make these big commitments, these big capital intensive commitments in the hope that you can structure your way around it. So I've generally found this market is a glass half full kind of market. So hopefully that'll be
2: that'll be good use. Anyway,
0: Michael, what's your what's your first pick?
2: Well, I will uh use as my pick a discussion uh of your selected trend, the Inflation Reduction Act is taking its time to translate into higher financing volumes. Um and uh I would I would concur with that. I think it's it's You know, one element, of course, is is the IRA, uh, which was the uh, legislation passed in the prior year, uh, or sorry, uh, earlier uh, by the Biden administration, um, uh, really was uh, a infusion of government support, um, not at all designed necessarily uh, with the idea of it being, say, similar to a, uh, a UK-style public-private partnership program, so it was, to a large extent, um, uh, an infusion of of uh, direct government money into into the marketplace. But I do think, and this is borne out by what we saw, on, and sorry for the plug again at the uh, Proximo Energy Transition Conference, was a substantial. I would call it release of animal spirits uh, in respective U.S. energy transition uh, projects, obviously buoyed by the additional tax benefits associated uh, with both the adders uh, for solar and wind, uh, of course, uh, additional support uh, relative to batteries and clean vehicles. Um, uh, so uh, certainly uh, the potential for tradable uh, uh uh, tax credits um, certainly had mechanisms uh, to create further activity in the market, um, but uh, for the most part, it is a it it was as much of a statement of emphasis as anything else regarding what the direction of uh, capital investment was going to be in the U.S. And we we see it beginning to gather pace a little bit um the loan program office uh a part of the department of energy has been a little bit slow in uh announcing transactions that have been closed uh but the, we see certainly a lot of activity going on right now uh both in terms of applications and in terms of uh progress they are making in in reviewing transactions um i think the one thing which has slowed things down has been uh as is typical, and as we saw back in the in the uh, 2008 uh, time frame, after uh, similar stimulus legislation came in from the uh, Obama administration, uh, the rulemaking has taken some time uh, to come about, and uh, in fact, only recently in December did the U.S. Treasury actually release its proposed guidance. Uh, for U.S. manufacturing uh, on batteries and clean uh, vehicles as it relates to the amount of overseas content uh, that would be permitted, which has uh, engendered a lot of response regarding how uh, uh, from both pros and uh, from both uh, those for and against uh, the nature of those regulations. So I think this is a continuing story, but I think it as much as anything has has been a directional impetus uh, that has caused Further capital to be directed uh, into energy transition markets. Your thanks, Michael.
0: And while we're, um, I mean, it's a, it, while we're spreading festive cheer, I guess it was quite heartening. The bank market got its head around transferability and tax credits quite quickly. Yeah. They're already coming up with the most ridiculous names for these facilities. It's a what is it? It's a clothed travel or a naked travel, like the mm-hmm. transferability bridge loan. Um, they're gonna have a lot of fun with it. So, and um, that is probably, yeah, probably. Uh, um, I, I think even in the last couple of weeks, I've slightly modified my opinion about that. And maybe the IRA is gonna kick in quite meaningfully. So, um, Ian.
1: Thanks, Tom. Well, first of all, I've learned a lesson, which is uh, uh, you know uh, something I always tell my children is uh, be prepared or be prepared to fail. And I wasn't prepared with my first uh, with, with my choice of Christmas tree, so I got the third pick, which means that I missed out on my number one pick, which was um, the COP twenty um, eight. Uh, as, as as Michael was uh, uh, sorry, as Jonathan was describing, the, uh, that he's going to take you know a very slow transition away from oil and gas. And I think there's a, a lot to be said around that whole discussion. But but I said, Jonathan's already already taken that. So I'm going to um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with my own. I'm um, going to I'm going to I'm going to go with my own uh pick, if you like, um, which is uh, renewable fuels and the, and the continuing in, uh, development of renewable fuels, which which kind of leads on, actually, from, from what we were learning at COP um, and how this transition away from oil and gas is going to be slow. We have, um, you know, we've seen over the last few years the development, but very, very slowly, of a number of renewable fuel projects. Um, Renewable diesel and um, sustainable aviation fuel, and I think a very, very important thing happened back in um, November, when Virgin Atlantic flew its first uh, 100% SAF sustainable aviation fuel flight from from London to New York, Um, and it's proved if you like that the sustainable aviation fuel sustainable aviation fuel works. Um, it's proved that it can work on commercial airliners and therefore it's it's starting to prove itself. And and as we move forward with, with this whole, you know, the, the energy transition and, and what we're going to see to try and speed that up, we need to adopt sustainable fuels. We need to um, we need to adopt um, on a much more commercial basis, um, com- uh, uh, both both SAF and renewable diesel. So what, what's that, you know, what does it tell us? You know, what, okay, we've had this flight, and, but, you know, why is that such an important trend? I think it's it's an important trend for the future. And you mentioned before, Tom, you know, project finances tend to be glass half full people. And, and I like to think that, that I would fall into that category. And I believe that something like this flight that we've just seen in November will actually act as a stimulus to that whole renewable fuels industry. We're seeing projects being developed um, but you need a market for the for the for the product first of all you then obviously need to make it um commercially viable as a project by ensuring that there's a there's a decent margin between the feedstock and the um and the product price we're, we're not there 100 yet um the technology is still being developed certainly on a large scale um with you know a lot of the, these projects we're seeing being developed in the likes of South America where they're close to the to the feedstock and a, and a ready supply of the feedstock but as we move forward, I do believe that the, 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 uh, these projects being commercially proven will start to uh, quicken the pace, if you like, of being able to develop these projects. And there is such an enormous need as we move away from fossil fuels. If we're going to replace fossil fuels by 2050 or even 20 or you know, 2100, we're, we're, we're going to need the adoption of these fuels and therefore we're going to need more and more of these projects so that flight from london to new york in november um i think is a landmark um uh for for that whole industry
3: thanks Ian. I, yeah, have... I, I, I was just going to echo uh i thought the uh the point is an excellent one um uh the the the, uh, the virgin atlantic flight certainly very significant i think it, it, you i'm sure also note that the the support of the broader aviation industry, mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, the offtake arrangements that they've signed up for, a number of these SAF projects, sustainable aviation fuel projects, has been quite significant. And um, we also saw this year the um, the launch of a of a fund um, that's being organized among the uh, a number of the airlines and other aviation market participants specifically to invest in in SAF projects to make sure that there is capital available from from these sponsors. And so I think I think that's a very well noted trend. And more broadly, as it relates to these alternative fuels, you know, there's a number of them that have become, you know, I would say approaching the mainstream. You know, renewable natural gas is probably one of those, Um, uh, certainly in the U.S. and Western Europe, um, uh, largely dairy based and then increasingly from landfills. uh, There's a lot of supportive um, regulation and and pricing regimes to, to drive the economics of those for the time being. So I think that's another one of those sectors, the renewable natural gas sector, that I think is is going to uh, continue to grow. And frankly, we're already seeing a lot of consolidation in that sector. So um, as these other new technologies come about, it's good to see some of the more trusted and tried technologies for alternative fuels um, uh, getting established in the marketplace.
0: Thanks, John. Does anyone else think that John had SAF as his additional friend? <laughs> <laughs> um no funny enough we did uh, clever uh,
1: he's very clever you see jonathan he's
0: very very clever but the the no i mean we we do regular regular attendees at our our events will know we do um deal or no deal which is a chance to get bankers to look at hypothetical deals and whether they do it the only deal that was so mad that none of the panelists wanted to do it was when i did a direct air capture to SAF project and asked bankers if they wanted to talk about it um and that that got nowhere so i've (laughs) i've done a lot of mad things in the past but SAF. So that's just me cautioning. That's me, non-project finance banker saying, you know, there's a little bit of work to get everyone's head around it. So um, cool, all right, it's my turn now actually, isn't it? Um, I am gonna be very boring and go with my second pick, um, which is private credit is becoming an important factor in infrastructure finance, depending on how you define it. That's one of those examples of kind of the market catching up with what infrastructure finance was doing already. I think all of those bankers setting up debt funds, all those infrastructure funds starting to play you know further up up the capital structure down the capital structure and um certainly yeah you 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 felt that they had a bit of a spring in their step. There are curmudgeons out there who sort of say that private credit is a very narrowly defined product um usually listed business development companies making loans to mid-market tech companies, but generally, I think it's again it it's. We've had a project from bond market now. We've had a bank market now. Banks are very, very tenacious in in maintaining their, their market square. But that little chunk of capital, which could be all sorts of things, I think, mezes, holdcos, um, really interesting structures. I think private credit is a very good way of getting that mainstreamed. So that's going to be my pick from my uh, my one. And I obviously have to plug the article I wrote about this about for or four months ago. So, all right, let's go back to the top. Uh, John, the floor is yours.
3: Let's see, I think I'll, I'll continue with this, uh, a couple of the themes that we've been picking up with these trends and, and, and also stick with the list. Um, the, I think one trend that, that, Tom, you noted um, that's worth reflecting on a little bit more is, is this movement, um, I guess, as we call it, of financial sponsors um, into, into development. And um, I think the area that I've seen it um, quite significant and, and really make a big difference um is actually outside of conventional renewables where we've obviously seen you know traditional infrastructure uh and private equity players um active for quite some time it's frankly in some of these more bold initiatives you know along the lines of what ian was mentioning in, in terms of alternative fuels and then you know even more significantly in, in some very large capital intensive areas like carbon capture which uh which mike referenced that michael mentioned at the beginning with his uh, his christmas tree uh uh, uh 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 prop the um the the you know, a couple of examples that I think of that uh, that are worth mentioning are, you know, there there was a very significant one. This one might almost seem like a counterexample, but it, it I think speaks to the level of support that's going on is one of the very large um, uh, carbon uh, CO2 transportation pipeline projects that was being developed. One of the notable trends that happened this year was that it was canceled. This is the uh, the Navigator Heartland project. Um, a very difficult decision was made after significant investment by those sponsors to cancel that project. That was after having developed it for quite some time, pushed it quite far along and taken a tremendous amount of risk that's not normally um, expected of uh, of infrastructure investors. And the decision to advance it as far as they did and then make a a, a conscious decision to to stop the project, I think speaks to just how bold some of these infrastructure sponsors are actually uh, uh, willing to to go to pursue um, energy transition related projects. It was interesting that that same sponsor, BlackRock, who was developing that project and ultimately made the decision to cancel it, Pivoted very quickly and later this year announced an investment in a direct air capture project in partnership with Oxy. And so, you know, the, the willingness to continue to pursue these, um, these different opportunities um, and, uh, and understand that some of these bets are going to move forward, some of them are not. Um, that development is, I think, the one that's, that's probably the most significant uh, change that we're seeing among these financial sponsors. And the willingness not just to sort of move into a sector once it's been fully de-risked, but to help in the de-risking of it. Uh, even if that means you know pursuing higher risk, higher return opportunities, I think is that trend that uh, that I think we wanted to that I wanted to draw people's attention to.
0: Thanks, John. I mean that's that's the wonderful thing about the the festive trends podcast in that I had in my mind a very particular use case, as it were, financial sponsors, which was doing volume renewables developments using fairly aggressive capital structures. And John's just like, no, 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 no. We'll take this in a different direction. So that was that was really cool. Thank you, thank you, John. Um. Michael, your next page.
2: OK, I think I'm going to go off piste uh, with my next round. Um, and I want to talk about the topic which has so captivated headlines, I think, this year. And that's artificial intelligence. Um, and uh, artificial intelligence in the current iteration uh, is the use of large learning models to, uh, uh, to basically uh, generate uh near human uh, analytical capabilities and response capabilities um uh in in breakneck speed um, and it's caused enormous controversy uh, obviously with the safety concerns uh that were apparently behind some of the management uh shuffles at uh, open ai uh, the partner to uh, microsoft um uh, we've seen activity at the highest levels of government uh with the biden administration review with eu legislation expressing concerns about uh safety issues about uh potential bias uh, in ai generated results um but the real question is is what does it mean for project finance what what happens for project finance and i i think that's an interesting question because uh we Uh, we have an industry that involves uh, parsing uh, a lot of data to be able to come up uh, with intelligent decisions and to try to analyze risks and understand uh, to what extent uh, historical information uh, existing models could predict future outcomes in making investment and or credit decisions. I also think there's an industry issue here having to do with the use of ai as a substitute for the types of learning activities that were normally provided to junior staff and have been very much part of the regime of training up people who later became full practitioners uh, in making decisions and advising clients in uh, developing a sense of the possible and the sense of the dangerous perhaps uh, with respect to making project finance decisions. And I think the the element which I'm going to be very curious to see going forward is how AI affects the industry, not only in its deployment of this tool uh, to assist, uh, in structuring and developing or assessing transactions or potential opportunities, but also what impact that has in terms of making sure that we do, in fact, have future generations who are able to review that material material and output sensibly and make decisions. That's
0: a, a great way of looking at um, at some of the challenges. I do remember a banker saying a long, very time, very long time ago that the biggest technological advancement he could think of in um project finance was the development of lotus notes so the idea that you could use spreadsheets to produce you see these are our wise men they're all nodding they're like yeah yeah lotus notes um and and it's yeah i mean it, it it's running a model i mean you can still get your associates to produce a pitch deck i guess but running a model is how you learn how these things might blow up so it's a it's a Challenging times. That's a great,
2: great, great trend. Thanks, thanks, Michael. Might have been Lotus One Two Three actually, but uh, okay, sorry. (laughs) As as somebody who started his career uh, in IT working on such products, I think it was. I think it was One Two Lotus One Two Three. Excuse me. (laughs) Um. All right, Ian. What are you going to go for?
1: Um, I'm I'm just thinking about those years many years ago, and I was trying to learn Lotus One Two Three, and then just as I got the hang of it, it disappeared, and everyone started using Excel. So, um, anyway that's that's that i'm over that um okay i'm gonna pick your number eight which was that neom does not prove that hydrogen is ready for prime time um you know what we've been talking about hydrogen now for every festive trends podcast
0: mm-hmm. we
1: have been talking about it for probably five six or seven years within the industry um and i think it's a good point i mean neom is 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 in in a, astonishing project um and you know it, but it's eight and a half billion dollars roughly um <clears throat> you know is it's billed as the world's uh largest carbon-free green hydrogen plant of course it is, you know but that is is a, is a very good point that's made in this trend that's an easy deal okay that is that's a straightforward transaction for the banks to fund because of you know, you've got aqua power, you've got air products, you've got, you know, all of the support that you get from some of these mega projects. Um, You've got, you know, lots of banks, I think, you know, 23, 23 commercial banks, you've got a 30 year offtake agreement. And, um, you know, that's, that's relatively straightforward financing, what was what is going to change the hydrogen industry? And what is going to change hydrogen from a Project finance perspective is being able to finance the smaller projects, those projects that don't have Aqua Power behind them and the Saudi government, whatever. Those projects that are going to, you know, supply maybe some of the other downstream projects. um You know, I had a, I had another extra, um uh, extra pick just in case I needed it, but I can lead into it, which is, you know, if you look at sort of the green steel. Uh, development, the development of green steel projects, they are going to, re- they're going to, they're going to need some of these hydrogen projects as well. So, I think um, in terms of what we need to see now is we need to see the banks, the institutions, being able to find a way of financing some of the smaller hydrogen projects. That requires primarily offtake for the hydrogen. So, we're going to need to see these downstream industries actually happening, and therefore we need to see things like those green steel projects that we're starting to see being developed across the Middle East in particular, they need to be financed because they actually provide the the pull for those green hydrogen projects. We know that the technology works. You know, we say we've been talking about it for a a long time, but all the time we've said it relies on offtake. Without the offtake, we don't get anywhere. We're just starting to see those projects that provide that offtake starting to be developed. So what I want to hope what I'm hoping for, if you like looking forward to to next year, is that we start to see more of the development of the smaller projects. So I mean, I, th- I think you know, w- why am I picking it? I agree with I agree with what's said here that Neon doesn't prove that hydrogen is ready for prime time, but maybe we're getting closer.
0: And thank you, Jen. I think it's another example of Proxima being a little bit perhaps too cynical. About it because the first deals they always happen with a bit of balance sheet support, yeah. don't they? So I think I think we've got to realize, you know, baby steps. We did have an earlier, very small hydrogen storage deal, and I think it was French guy on us. So you know, we 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 will you eventually get from the big to the small to the you know regular scale that actually gets banks excited. So I think it's fair. I'm I'm sort of talking back my own trends because I think we were maybe being a bit too fierce, but no, I don't
1: anyway. think it's
0: fierce. I think it's I think it's true.
1: I think it is a fact that. You know that project itself and the financing of neon doesn't prove that hydrogen is ready. Yet. I think we're still at that point. It's not ready. I like to think we're getting closer. Um, If you read, you know, the press. If you read, um, you know, what the banks are saying. When you know, you look. You only need to look at LinkedIn, and 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 all of your all of the people you follow on LinkedIn in banks that are putting no, notes on about you know green hydrogen. You know it. it every day every day so we're seeing that we're seeing the, the 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 desire but we haven't actually seen the deals i don't think it proves it but hopefully we are
0: getting a bit closer thanks thanks Ian. um right halfway through um and it's now time and some still fairly high quality trends that you to go for i think including one which I'm, I'm just golfing hasn't been been taken yet um john what do you what
3: do you like the look of uh you know, before I jump in on my next trend, I just wanted to reflect on on one point that Ian uh, made excellently uh, uh, in his comments about the uh, the neon uh, green hydrogen project. You know, the other mega project that he referenced um, uh, was the uh, was the H2 green steel project, or at least was referring to um, one of the largest transactions. It was done. It's not a full financing yet, but a very significant amount of equity capital has been committed to that project. And I guess some provisional debt commitments have uh, been provided um, at this stage thinking about what it's going to take to decarbonize a lot of these other sectors um uh transportation fuel steel um uh you know some of these mega projects are going to be the ones that we're going to see first in these sectors but i think it's worth noting that that, that this year saw a significant uh, advancement not just on the hydrogen side but but also in terms of green steel mm-hmm. um the trend i'm going to go with is is your first one and just talk about the market in general and um you know certainly this year we were seeing we were seeing it this time last year but I think it really took hold, um, you know, the, uh, the rising interest rate environment. Maybe we're seeing a reversal in that now. But uh, for the vast majority of this year, um, uh, uh, inflation concerns, maybe that's starting to abate a bit now, but, uh, but was a significant factor throughout the year. Without a doubt, had an impact on, uh, on, on transaction um, frenzy, which I think certainly we saw 18, 24 months ago in the market. Um, it, was a, it was a very hot uh, market environment for, uh, for financing of all different types of assets. Um, we're definitely seeing, you know, over the course of this year, a, a cooling in that. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's a, it's been what I would describe as a return to rationality. Um, a lot of the uh, the more aggressive, ambitious um, projects where the economics maybe didn't um, hold up as strongly uh, have now sort of fallen away, um, and uh, and investment models I think have also started to uh, to rationalize as a result. Uh, valuations have come down we're seeing on the uh, on the the area that we play in, you know in terms of venture capital and and uh, and growth equity uh, a significant um, return to normalcy in terms of of valuation expectations and we're seeing down rounds and financings we're seeing more conservative capital structures um uh, and so I think you know from our perspective looking at it from the buy side it's a it's a it perhaps is a, a, a as we think about entry points for investments, and the accumulation of capital—it's being done in a more orderly and and uh, and and reasonable manner. Um, but there's no question that the volume of transactions have definitely slowed. So, definitely want to call out the um, the impact of of how interest rates and inflation are affecting uh, the transaction volume, but uh, but not necessarily in a, a purely negative manner at all.
0: So, John, I think um, inflation definitely does appear to have fallen back a little bit. Is your feeling that? we're in a bit of a new normal in terms of slightly higher interest costs? Or do you think that is possibly has some room to fall back to?
3: I, I think, you know, if I look at what a lot of the uh, the, the banks and, and, and other economic forecasters are saying, I think we're going to see a, a, a slight reduction, most likely in, in interest rates next year. But I think the current environment that we're in, right, and that we've kind of been in in this post COVID era is, I think, the new normal. Um, I don't think we're just gonna see a return to the um, you know, post financial crisis, extremely low interest rates. Um, anytime soon, and so adjusting to this new economic model is, uh, is I think, the new reality.
0: Thanks, John. Okay, we're getting slightly lower down the uh,
2: down the list of stuff to go through. But um, Michael, what do you, uh, what do you like the look of? Well, I'm going to talk about the offshore wind item. Uh, offshore wind has not had its best year, but lenders are still supportive. Um, And I will do my best to try and be glass half full because it's very difficult in the year that offshore wind had in 2023, particularly in the United States, um, where one can only arrive at the conclusion that offshore wind, at least from a U.S. perspective, and I think perhaps arguably due to a number of U.S.-specific issues, uh, is in serious trouble. Um, Obviously, the item which captured uh, the greatest degree of attention Uh, was the uh, Orsted's uh, cancellation of its new offshore New Jersey project, obviously an enormous uh, write down uh, uh, that it took and uh, having its shares uh, punished by a drop of almost 25%. So we've seen a lot of headlines that have popped out where headline writers get to uh, talk about dark clouds and headwinds and all of the metaphors necessary that uh, relate to uh, ill winds uh, relative to uh, offshore. Um, and you know there's been other challenges. The, the uh, US Gulf Coast auction, I think, uh, in the United States had pretty horrible results uh, relative to a degree of interest in there. Um, I would argue that some of this is, is distorting, distortive of US specific issues um uh, obviously the us is a very difficult and uh, uh, legal environment in which to develop large projects uh the administration uh has not perhaps uh, been as successful uh, as it might have hoped uh, relative to clearing a regulatory path for uh, large uh, impactful transactions Uh, The cost structure in the U.S. of building offshore wind is extremely challenging. Uh, Some of that driven by U.S. factors such as the Jones Act, uh, which uh, increased uh, the ship uh, transportation costs uh, tremendously in relation to uh, installation of offshore wind. Uh, U.S. Gulf Coast was not a particularly favorable uh, environment for either both geotechnical issues as well as uh, as well as uh, wind strength issues, um, and you know you could argue that it is similar to some of the challenges that the U.S. has to to draw an analogy in our comparative cost of tunneling, which is three to five times the global average of uh, building similar infrastructure projects uh, in a, in other highly developed economies. Now, the reason I think lenders are still supportive, this is a known uh, a known sector. There have been successful projects before. We see a much greater acceptance of offshore wind, uh, certainly uh, uh, that has been established in Northern Europe. And I think the industry sees opportunities. Uh, we continue to see uh, projects develop in Asia, uh, in Korea and other locations. Uh, so some of this may... Uh, be just a change in direction uh, and perhaps a little bit of um, uh, modification regarding the previous expectations of the extent to which there have been uh, there would be a bonanza of offshore wind projects uh, in the U.S. But I think the industry will still remain supportive, um, but the U.S. is going to have to figure out if it's serious about having an offshore wind industry and sector, how to deal with the cost issues.
0: And I I think that's fair. I mean, it was designed to be applicable both in the US or maybe in the in the North Sea. Um, but I think whereas there were some high-profile cancellations in the in the North Sea, mostly just to, just based on the specifics of the UK auctions. Having started to review the year's transaction data, like there were some decent-sized financings and refinancings about there that still got done. So there was Moray West, a couple of French wind farms got done, Baltic in Poland, so. Um, if the infrastructure is there, I guess you can come back from some of these issues. But I think if, if I'm not paraphrasing you too horribly, Michael, the U.S. has some U.S. specific issues which are going to take some time to to work through. So yeah, um, yeah. that's just that's just me providing more context for my own uh, <laughs> my own trend. Um, Ian. OK,
1: I'm pretty sure we haven't had this. I, it was a horrible moment. I'm thinking financial sponsors moving upstream into development. We, yeah, we had, had it. Do we have that? You've been
0: sniped. Yeah, you've got you've got digital, digital or nothing, really. I tell you what, I tell you what, it's Christmas. All right, so I'll let you take another one of your own, and I'll take I'll take that number six, okay?
1: You let me take another one of my own. Yeah. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we've already um, sort of once again, Jonathan has kind of stolen a little bit of my (laughs) thunder on this because. When, whilst it was it was reassuring for him to 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 uh, to talk about green steel after I'd talked about um uh the um uh, the, the the fact that neon doesn't necessarily mean green hydrogen is 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 ready for prime time I think um you know my my next other um uh, um other, the other trend, if you like, was this move towards green steel. And I'll just say one more thing. I think before because I don't want to, you know, reiterate what what Jonathan's already said. But you know, th- this is um, this is a really good example of how some of these downstream industries are are going to be really, really important. And again, we talked about the the energy transition because they're providing a. a, a um an offtake as mentioned before for some of the some of the other uh the projects the the green hydrogen and potentially the sustainable aviation fuel and the renewable diesel as well but we're actually starting to see some of these industries and it's not just steel that are starting to adopt um a a greener approach and they're start, you know the issue we have there with all of these projects is the cost competitiveness so it's kind of um I'm making up my trend as I go along here, but the cost competitiveness of some of these industries that are going to that we are going to rely on, we need to rely on to be changing in order to adopt a, a greener approach in order that we can meet some of these uh, net zero goals. We're going to have to address the issue that they're not as competitive. Um, you know, you could, for, at the moment fossil fuels are so much cheaper than renewable fuels. You know. Um, traditional steel is so much cheaper than green steel. Now, what we're seeing in that industry is a premium now that's being applied to green steel because it's green, because there are then, you know, uh, regional uh, and, and local targets and regulatory targets that need to be met. And it kind of then, this is how, this is the only way at the moment that we're going to make some of these industries um Will help these industries develop because the regulation will then impose uh, um, quotas or you know, requirements on on consumers to purchase what are effectively more expensive products. We've got to get used to that. Um, we've got to get used to the fact that it's the regulation that drives many of these industries. And I think once we do that, then we're going to see some of these more these projects develop. Um, green steel is a great example because the green premium that is being applied to green steel ensures that there will be a market for a product that otherwise is uncompetitive. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's my sort of additional trend, if you like, is that, you know, we we, we have to we, we've got to realize that this is the way these 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 projects are
3: going to be developed.
0: Yeah, no, that's. I, I
3: will. I will compliment Ian on his recovery after I stole his trends. <laughs> and I'll, I'll also. I'll also gripe a little bit, Ian. You managed to steal a couple of my my uh, spare trends as well. But um, it seems we're trotting in uh, in in similar uh, uh, areas these days. So I think that that point you made about um, that green premium being passed off and and, and shared um, by numerous parties is is a relevant one. And it's interesting to note, right, that some of the airlines are starting to explore. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, end use pass uh, passengers' willingness to accept some of that cost, and and I think you're right. That's that's something that we are going to be seeing a lot more of going forward. It's not simply going to be borne by the producers of the uh, of these different green products, but ultimately end consumers as well. It's the, it's the same. The producers
1: can't bear the cost entirely. You know, they just can't. You can't make uh, some of these products more competitive at the moment. And and to go back to if you look at offshore wind. Okay, as an industry, you know, when we first started developing offshore wind product projects, you know, twenty years ago, uh, that the they relied on a feeding tariff, which was incredibly advantageous to the um, to the producer. You know, it wasn't it wasn't competitive with 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 fossil fuel um, electricity projects. Now they are like right? you can develop offshore wind on a on a purely commercial basis, and for it to be competitive. But we had to go, We had to start with with the with the subsidies. We had to start with the the tariffs and all of that. We, we, you know, that's what's going to drive the development of some of these industries. And then maybe in twenty years' time, we can sit here and we can t- be talking in our you know twenty fifth anniversary festive trends about you know how we predicted that you know in the in in the future hydrogen would become prime time and you know green steel would be competitive. And uh-huh. who thought
3: that that twenty fifth. 25th- would be held on Mars. Of all things, <laughs> <you know.
2: laughs>
1: it will be held. It will be held on a transatlantic flight that is being uh, the, the 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 airplane will have been will have been built within one hundred percent green steel, and it will be using one hundred percent sustainable aviation fuel um, to to get us
0: across on that celebratory flight. And and everyone at Proximo will have their own yacht,
1: obviously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. I mean, I, I, I'm going to slightly riff off. Um, uh, Ian's point, and this was one that I was keeping in my back pocket, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take you know chairman's privilege and and, and bust it out anyway, and um, and that's the idea that we are seeing project finance move downstream increasingly. We've seen some steel plants in the past. I think we spent possibly too much time on our last Fester Trends podcast talking about cheese factories, and <laughs> you know, but but we saw the very big Intel Brookfield financing, which happened last year for the chip foundry. We're seeing a lot of battery factories um get some uh, get get some fairly substantial amounts of financing so that's gonna gonna happen and i guess where you've got these assets with a lot more market risk than we're used to that does present some some challenges and it could be done by different types of credit products or it could be done by ai enhanced you know market due diligence running various um scenarios for demand um so it's yeah it's one one to watch I'm I'm gonna gonna go past my final trend quite quite quickly, which is is just to say it's been interesting watching the digital market, digital infrastructure market take off. Um it's a very busy se- sector for us, much busier than than social infrastructure now. Um, but and I think this is slightly borne out here, it's still slightly off in its own silo, particularly data centers. Um Fiber, um, I spent a very eye-opening day in in Frankfurt a couple of months back talking to very, very I know scared cynical German telecoms bankers um talking about some of the rather aggressive terms on their fiber to the home loans. so um it has it's allowed a lot of banks to make their budgets um, it's one of those rebrandings we've talked a little bit about energy transition rebrandings, but digital rebrandings is 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 a way to go and I, I think we're um again even as much as three months ago I was a bit more nervous about digital, but I think um I think as an industry we've maybe got a little bit better. At managing um oversupply risk maybe than we did 20 years ago um
2: Um, how much do you think that trend is affected by ai and the and crypto coming back up in the marketplace hugely i mean I, i one of the presentations was
0: just the amount of power and water needed to train an ai i mean if if you know if we've seen a few developers try and do renewables plus data centers, but probably water plus data centers is 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 going to be massive. I mean we're yeah. we're looking at how AI can help us in in our business. Um and some of the some of the 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 demands, just monetary energy resources are huge. Um and there's a reason why Microsoft was you know bankrolling these early AI experiments. Um they are, they are the, they're the definitely the big beats in the market so yeah mm. probably probably one to watch and an interesting convergence will be customers and suppliers of capital i think so anyway well thanks very much uh john michael and, and ian for for playing um wishing each of you the best for holiday season um and and 2024 and can i wish all of you our audience a safe and happy festive period and a great 2024. Um, Proximo has already launched our Miami and Nashville events for next year, um, so stay tuned for details of that. Also, we should have our Deals of the Year award winners, Deals of the Year award winners, out soon. Um, but for now, uh, I think that's it from me. Um, thanks very much to our guests, and um, thanks to all of you for listening. And goodbye.